0: On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Well, a well, well. It's another happy Monday, isn't it, for everybody out there uh, wondering exactly what to do uh, with the rest of the day? Uh, fancy going to the beach, perhaps? Uh, not really. Uh, it's a bit cold. Uh, how about a nice walk in the park? Well, it's pouring down with rain, unfortunately. Well, it is the last day of July, after all. Uh, As Kevin O'Sullivan just said uh, on the Mike and Kev show, uh, let's get back to doing what we do best, moaning about the weather and how awful the summer is. Uh, They're not to be talking about the uh, forests on fire anymore in Europe, are they? Uh, The world is on fire, according to Sadiq Khan. Uh, The only thing that's on fire uh, is Sadiq Khan's um, opportunity meter, because he thinks he can now bring you, Les, in, make another £400 million off of the poor London budget. Not just the people who live in. London, but the people who visit it and the people who live around it. The ULES argument is still going on, it's still raging all over the weekend. And I'm delighted to say that Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, appears to have discovered something Eureka style. Uh, He's worked out that actually, if you become a bit more friendly to motorists, you might actually win the odd election. Because Uxbridge, of course, the by election was won as a result of people wanting to vote Conservative for the very reason uh, that it ended up being uh, for the ULES source or situation. And in the end, if you have a car. Uh, You're getting rinsed by the public, uh, you're getting rinsed by uh, the politicians, you're getting rinsed by the petrol pump attendants, you're getting rinsed by the oil companies, you're getting rinsed by pretty much all of the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, the DVLA, and you've got no money left to even actually drive anywhere. So, if Rishi Sunak has got an idea of how to win the next election, I think he may well be onto something because after all, if he says he's friends of the car driver, then he needs to be friends of the car driver. He says he's gonna suspend low traffic neighborhoods. He's gonna have an inquiry into that. He's gonna possibly try and reverse the ULES in London. He'll try and get into that. And maybe, just maybe, he might be onto something. As we say, 0344 499 1000. Tim Montgomery is going to be here with us, former advisor uh, to number 10. We'll also have Peter Hitchens here, uh, who's been horrified by the outbreak of shoplifting we told you about before. Also, Mike Neville is going to talk to us about the Tories' track record on crime, which is basically woeful. Because what's happened uh, is detective shortages are meaning that something like 90% of crimes now committed in this country go completely and utterly unsolved extraordinary. Richie's also decided it might be quite a good idea to continue drilling for oil and gas uh, in the North Sea. As Richard Tice said this morning, have we reached peak net zero? Is the net zero wave suddenly now going to be pushed back into the sea? We shall see. 0344 is the number. Uh, we're going to talk about migrants as well. We're going to talk about the economy. We're going to take your calls because we need to hear from all of you absolutely right now. 0344 This is the Independent Republic of Migrant. Let us get it on. A very good morning and a happy Monday to you. Uh, It's the start of yet another week. It's the last day of July, by the way. So tomorrow, the 1st of August, may bring some decent weather, but it's unlikely, apparently. Uh, According to those who know, uh, it's going to be very wet. So we've had a very, very cold um, and pretty nasty wet spring. Uh, We're now not having much of a summer. And so some might say you've actually moved straight to autumn already in the 1st of August. Let's see how we go. Tim Montgomery is here, former number 10 advisor, founder of Conservative Home, of course. Tim, a very good morning to you.
1: Mike, what's happened to you? What do you mean? Um, I'm worried. Why? You're, you're hopeful about good weather. Do you not live in England? <laughs> and you're also believing that Rishi Sunak's going to change his green policies. Normally you ask the hard-bitten questions and yes. suddenly you've... Uh, turned into someone who's optimistic and hopeful. Listen, I've always it's been like what
0: I've, I'm used to. I've always been used to. I've always been <laughs> optimistic, Tim. I just disguise it well. The point is is that, you know, if Rishi <laughs> Sunak has finally stumbled upon uh, the recipe for success, he may well be onto something, and I think he has. By by accident, well, by the way. Uh, but I think there's nothing wrong with being friends to the motorist. I mean, we haven't had any friends for a long time.
1: No. Well, look, spoiler alert, um, Mike, yeah. I think if he was serious about undoing some of this, you know, green stuff, green crap, as David Cameron once described mm. it as, And, you know, rescue poorer households from the huge cost of making these changes. I would be optimistic as well. But mm. I'll tell you where this ends. He will raise the hopes of hard earning families that something will change. But actually, the big business and other international interests that already invested very much in climate change policies. He's not the kind of politician to reverse this. He hasn't got the guts, I'm i am afraid. This is all politics uh, rushed in the aftermath of um, Uxbridge. Mm. And it will upset both groups. Green voters will lose any residual faith in the Conservative Party. And those hard earning couples who um, families who uh, hope that there might be change. But they will soon find their hopes dashed.
0: But isn't it time, though, that the Conservative Party found itself, though? And they do need to find something to hang their hat on. And so if there are enough people in the party who say to Rishi Sunak, you are actually onto something, you will um, hold on to some more seats if you do this, then surely he will be swayed by that, won't he?
1: Well, look, Mike, you know, the green industry, the green blob, whatever you want to call it, you know, the banks are hugely invested in this thing. Huge amounts of US federal money is going into combating climate change. This is the big thing in the global economy at the moment. Mm. If you take this on in any meaningful way, you know, you need all the guts and resolution of a Margaret Thatcher. It's that big and it can't be done on the edges if it's going to be meaningful. Everything I've seen about Rishi Sunak suggests to me that uh, he doesn't have the plan or the drive to really change things. And um, the only thing that might just possibly do it is cynicism of people like me, you know, calling his bluff, uh, giving a little bit of encouragement. Well, I'm afraid only um, appeal to his worst instincts. That's I'm pl- sorry to be so cynical. No, listen, I'm, really glad,
0: I'm glad. That, that I'm glad that I found somebody even more cynical than me. I mean, it's a pleasure <laughs> uh, to actually witness it. But here's the other thing, though, that as he as he kind of goes, uh, as you say, not very very controversially down the road, he mm. might because he might be swayed to at least put things off for a bit because he's quite good at doing that, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he's having an inquiry into low-traffic neighbourhoods, which he's hoping everybody will forget about um, and nothing will actually happen. But, but he's quite good at, at putting things off. So if, if that's the best we can hope for, maybe there's a chance he will at least change the 2030 deadline for petrol and diesel cars not to be made or not to be sold here anymore. You know, there might be something in it.
1: Well, if you want a little bit of tinkering at the edges... I'm not saying that um, won't happen, although I think that diesel ban is strongly opposed by Michael so I don't even think uh, that will happen. But who really wants tinkering, you know, at a crisis like this? The Mm. Tory party certainly doesn't want tinkering when you're uh, behind in the polls as much as, uh, you know, the Conservatives are. You need a bold agenda. And um, you also need to be absolutely disciplined. And, you know, our candidate in Ashbridge. one thing I will say about him, it's the only issue he talked about. He mm. genuinely cared about it. I'm not sure that Rishi Sunak cares enough to really take on the huge vested interests that uh, make this uh, you know, All much right. bigger than big oil or any sort of other interest in society. The money invested in this climate change agenda for good or ill is, you know, something to behold.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm going to make one final uh, desperate attempt to sway you uh, by saying, what about his own vanity? Because does he really want to be one of the shortest, notwithstanding Liz Truss, uh, prime ministers? I mean, I know he's one of the shortest prime ministers in stature, but does he want to be one of the shortest ever reigning prime ministers in the Tory party? Because that's what he'll be uh, if he gets (laughs) shunted out of office next year.
1: Well, look, you know, vanity affects people in in different ways. Um, Also, you know, if he does this, you know, he will be attacked by the great and the good, the heads of business, the people that were praising him when he did the furlough scheme, Uh, all the talking heads on programmes in the media. Mm. This one obviously accepted. Um, You know, it will be the assumption. International leaders will, you know, treat him as a pariah. So if it's his mission, if he really wants to do it, great. But I don't really see any evidence for it. I think this is a reaction to Uxbridge and um, a little bit to the Farage banking issue.
3: Yeah.
1: And um, I don't think any of us should raise hopes too much. And what we should do to Rishi Sunak is say, look, this is what, if you're serious about this issue, this is the kind of change we want to see. If yeah. you're not going to do that sort of stuff, then shut up because they don't waste our time.
0: But isn't there also a, an alarm bell going off in the, in the wokest arena where you've got the banking uh, scandal at NatWest and there are many people, most of them uh, regular working people who don't give a stuff about wokery, uh, who are looking around saying this has gone too far. You know, mm-hmm. so let's maybe not listen to the banks, maybe not listen uh, to the big corporations who seem to want us to live a particular way and say things that they want to believe in. You know, could this be an opportunity? And you're right, you're probably going to say to me he's not the guy to do it and you're probably right mm. but there is there is a, a, a moment to grasp there isn't there for somebody brave
1: well look, if you had nigel farage as tory leader it would happen nigel farage listens to the ordinary but, and doesn't mm. care you know what uh, the great and the good think. right richie sunat does care a great deal and not just for bad reasons you know these are the people you know who when he was chancellor are the big investors In Britain, they're the global leaders who he meets in summits, that is, you know, with Biden and so on, and Mm. he signed important defense agreements. So, ignoring what these people think has consequences. Now, you're prepared for those consequences if you think this is an absolute core purpose of yours. Mm. But if you're just thinking, oh, maybe this is the uh, way I can, you know, save some seats at the next general election, then, um, Sorry, you probably have to expel me from the independent republic now, Mike. I'm, <laughs> well, not I'm really. I just, I, I
3: just, it's just a
0: shame that we've reached this point in politics where where principles and and convictions and, and beliefs actually don't seem to really matter very much, because if you want to be in with the in crowd, you just have to move along with them.
1: Yeah, and um, Mrs Thatcher of course was the great exception to this. She yeah. was willing to take on you know, the vested interests of her time, but I should say, you know, one important footnote to that, you know, she fought her battles wisely. You know, the miners who were a huge vested interest, you know, in the 70s, brought down the the conservative government then. She waited a number of years to uh, fight them because Mm. she knew the country wasn't ready for the kind of energy crisis that a coal strike would uh, produce. If you're going to take on vested interest, if you're going to fight for something, Make sure you know what you're going to do, who your allies Mm. are, etc. It can't be written on the back of a bag paper. And, you know, politicians who career into this, a little bit like Liz Trusted, say they uh, have the radicalism and ambition of Thatcher, but haven't thought things through, Mm. are worse than useless because they actually discredit the underlying cause they purport to champion. Yes,
0: and she did a lot more damage in that way, I suppose, than we may, may, may perhaps know. Uh, Tim, stay with us for a moment. I'll come back to you. We've got lots of other things to talk about as well. Tim Montgomery's here, uh, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor as well, with the bad news, which I suppose most of you would have already known. Rishi Sunak doesn't have any principles. Rishi Sunak doesn't have any ambition other than to be Rishi Sunak. And Rishi Sunak doesn't really expect the country uh, to suddenly go unwoke. And he certainly doesn't expect uh, to actually be the friend of the motorist, even though he says... He wants to be. How sad is that? This is it Talk TV on your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio, and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Tim Montgomery's with us former number 10 uh, advisor and founder of Conservative Home. While we're on the subject of um, organisations in politics that don't have much to believe in, let's talk about the Labour Party, Tim, for the moment. They've got a big statement out today slamming uh, the Tories' abysmal record on law and order, saying 90% of crimes are going unsolved. They're saying that their uh, solution to all of this uh, would be to bring in loads more police and PCSOs on the streets including 3,000 officers ring fenced I mean they've been quite careful to to cost it all and say uh, they've got 225 million pounds for centralized standard setting for procurement increased collaboration on shared services it all sounds fine but I mean um, is there anybody in the Labour Party that knows how to run the country because they haven't done it for such a long time mm.
1: well you know a lot of it sounds okay uh, Mike but you know not unrelated to you know what we were just uh, talking mm. about Crime is huge in Britain at the moment. On Times Radio last uh, week, our sister uh, station, you know, I was listening to, um, you know, someone from co-op describe, you know, how routinely now gangs come in, not to steal one or two things, but with suitcases near the shelves. You know, this happens again and again. And worst of all, not only do the police often not attend as an emergency, They never even follow up on these incidents at all. You know, we could all, you know, your programme regularly covers this sort of stuff. Crime is out of control at the moment. Mm. And as the COVID generation grows up, as a report from the Centre for Social Justice said last week, these people who haven't been in school, what happens to people who haven't been educated? Mm. They'll form another crime wave. So we need radical solutions on crime and a few extra Plastic constables, well, it might help uh, a little bit. But as with the environment and Rishi Sunak, where's the ambition? Where's the boldness? And um I can't
0: see any. Well, that's the trouble. I mean, you can point to five things, couldn't you? You could talk about a green net zero. You could talk about crime. You could talk about migrants. You could talk about the economy. Um, and you could talk about one sort of bonus thing, I suppose, would be the NHS. Five really, really big issues in this country yeah. that we should all be discussing that the Labour Party should be giving us you know, possible solutions to, that the Tories should be telling us how they're going to fix. And yet, the national conversation isn't really about that. No. And
1: uh, you could kind of understand why. I think one of the lessons after Uxbridge that the Labour Party might learn is not have anything bold, you Mm. know, different. It was a veil fought through policy and Labour got what they deserve. But um, I think if you give a sort of fireside chat to the British people and say, you know, housing is my Mm. big concern, this is why, you know, your kids will never be on the housing Mm. ladder. This is the kind of radical thing we need to do to put it right, this is going to be the cost, but it'll be worth it in the end. You know, really take people into your confidence, build cross-party alliances. Maybe you can build a constituency for um, boldness. I'm not saying it's easy in a social media age, but we don't seem to have politicians who really want to change Britain. No, They have politicians who want to win power, but... uh, that seems to be their priority. And if anything might get in the way of winning power, you know, they're not willing to take the risk. I, I hope, you know, like you never know the strength of a tea bag until it's in hot water. Mm. I hope Keir Starmer might surprise us when he's in office in the absence of money. You know, Blair had so much money because of the strong economy he inherited. He didn't have to do uh, big reforms. Labour might have to do mm. big reforms. But it might well be said, you
0: you might well argue as well, Tim, that that after all of the last, say, four Conservative governments, I think there have been four, um, the the, the lack of ambition to change the country has led us to where we currently are, which is that everything's kind of fallen apart a little bit. It's all a bit ragged around the edges and nothing really works very well.
1: Yeah, um, and I wrestle with this, Mike. I don't know what the main explanation is for this. You know, we've lived through... You know, extraordinary global times. It's hard to see many advanced Western nations in the world where the politicians are doing much good. Mm. We shouldn't be too parochial about it. But we are British. We care about Britain. I I do think the quality of MPs has declined. I worry about the bureaucracy in Whitehall. I worry about the short-termism. You know, football managers are sacked after they lose a few games. Companies have to do quarterly results we all live in a 24 7 ages you know the ability to do long-term things almost beyond us as the west now i you know this is a massive uh topic but i agree with you it's been a very disappointing conservative government yeah. but I and not quite understand
0: why. And yet, if you were to be, I suppose, completely honest about it, most people, and I know that there will be others who disagree with this, but most people have, have probably more stuff, better lives, than they mm. would have had maybe 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, I think so many things have got better materially, mm. but there's loneliness, huge amounts of loneliness, uh, mental health, uh, problems and as ecological problems as well. I would rather live now than any time in our country's history. So, you know, I, thanks to technology, thanks to other things, we're very, very fortunate. But uh, there are some big problems growing as well. And I don't want to look back on our time, when we're in 20, 30 years' time and explain to our kids, why didn't you do something about these problems, they asked and uh, i want to be in a position whereby just as previous generations addressed the challenges of their time we we do the same uh, too
0: yeah i mean you'd like to think so what about the um uh, the sort of the, the future for people like uh, rishi sunak and michael gove i mean if they do get wiped out at the next election are we going to see do you think any chance that the Tory party can hang on to more than we think they can hang on to, i.e., you know, is the Labour Party not going to be able to convince everyone to vote for them?
1: Mm. I think if there's a relatively narrow Labour win, which I think for various electoral, for arithmetic reasons is the best they can hope for, I hope the Tory party will hold itself together. I think if it's a massive defeat, the infighting might be extraordinary. Um, But, what I don't want is, if we do lose, is we hold ourselves together but don't do some some radical thinking. I think we do need to look at the last uh, thirteen years and you know do a list of achievements and compare them to the achievements of the last time, and you know, Conservative Party enjoyed extended time in office, and there's very little to stay you know we've achieved apart from brexit I know some people don't like brexit and I think we need to think why did it go wrong is it because we've lost mission is it because we are too short-term is it the caliber of our representative what what is it um, is it because cabinet ministers enter the cabinet you know after they've only been MPs mm. uh, three years we need to do some deep soul-searching as to why the Thatcher-begun uh, governments were so much more radical than the governments ushered in uh, by David Cameron.
0: Yeah, and, and why Tony Blair's changes, which were made, you know, now 15 or more years ago, have had such an impact on the way that the country now run. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: I think the
1: spin of the Blair years, the constant reference. This came from Bill Clinton as well. The constant, you know, they say they're fighting a daily election campaign. Sometimes you have to say, well, the public may not like this now, but the dividends of this policy will be around by the time of the next general election. Do we have politicians who have the courage and the depth uh, to, to do that? I'm actually quite glad that Tony Blair seems to be advising uh, Keir Starmer. Blair got lots of things wrong, but one thing he did say, he was sorry that he didn't reform early enough when he became prime minister. Mm. Time is limited, and he wasted those first two, three years in office because he was drifting. I think we do need more experienced politicians in uh, parliament who can help, you know, novices guide their way through his times and all of that comes from the confidence of having been there and done
0: it yeah but again you have to be careful what you wish for of course i'm not sure i want another seven or eight years of a blairist regime run Mm. from behind the scenes by the man himself but tim great to talk to you thank you very much indeed tim montgomery former number 10 advisory and founder of conservative home the trouble with that conversation is that it doesn't fill you with anything other than a kind of a sense of you know misdirection a sense of bewilderment a sense of kind of where have all the leaders gone in this country why can they not do anything why can they not fix anything why can they not give us some kind of offering rishi sunak has said that he's going to be the friend of the car driver is he really do you think more like tim montgomery that nothing's really going to change what are we going to do Coming up, uh, we're going to speak to Gareth Bacon, MP for Orpington. He's, of course, a Conservative. He wants to talk about the ULES expansion plans, what is actually going to happen, how is it going to affect you. Talk Radio and Talk TV to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course. We've got Peter Hitchens coming up after the news at 11. He's got something to say about broken Britain and the crime wave uh, that has been uh, inflicted upon us, not just from uh, the point of view of shoplifting, but now, according to the Labour Party anyway, uh, something like 90% of crime not actually even solved by the police, and that's how bad things are. But let's talk to Gareth Bacon, Conservative MP for Alpington. Gareth, a very good morning to you. I might come back to the crime question in a minute, but let's talk about the ULEZ decision um, last Friday, because obviously an awful lot of people very disappointed um, that the judicial review went uh, in in Sadiq Khan's favour. Um, He doesn't seem to be interested in listening to anybody who's against it. Uh, He's going full steam ahead. What's uh, what's your uh, reaction? Is there is there likely to be some kind of pressure brought to bear against him?
3: Well, I hope so. Um, I mean, I th- the first thing on the on the judicial review, the thing to bear in mind is that judicial reviews are not about whether the pro- whether the policy is good or not. It's about the process that was followed yes. to implement policy. So it's been written up, um, I think, incorrectly in various media outlets um, as though this is a, a gigantic triumph for the mayor. Um, I, I don't think it is. It would have been a disaster for the mayor if the JR had gone against him because it would have shown that his process had been unlawful. Um, So the question remains, is this good policy? And I think it's very clearly not. And as you know, I've been sort of pushing against this very hard for quite a long time now. Mm. And what I can also say to you, um, on a day when there were three by-elections, two of which were statistically a lot safer than Uxbridge, and the Conservative Party was around about 20 20 points behind in the polls nationally, we won in Uxbridge. Now, I went there several times, including on polling day, and I can tell you categorically, that the reason why we won that election was opposition to the ultra low mm. emission zone expansion, which would, of course, impact on Bridge. Now, I think what the Prime Minister said in recent days about being on the side of the motorist and reviewing LTNs and things, I think that's excellent. I think that's a really good first step. Um, but I would be encouraging him to go further. And I think the government should take a very long, hard look at the US expansion and see what they can do to stop yeah. it.
0: I mean, low traffic neighbourhoods notwithstanding um, and and sort of reviews of things notwithstanding, I think people would like to see something a bit more concrete in terms of Rishi Sunak saying, well, we're going to overrule Sadiq Khan here uh, because he could do that. And I know I've spoken to MPs in the past who have said that he could, but it's it's a process. It may be not something he wants to do, but he could do it. And I wonder whether uh, if Rishi Sunak really is the friend to the motorist, that could actually save the Tory party in the next election.
3: Well, I'm certainly making the argument because uh, Section 143 of the GLA Act 1999 does appear to give the Secretary of State the power to direct the Mayor of London over the Mayor of London's transport strategy, provided certain conditions are met. Uh, Now, I think that they are. Um, Apparently, um, Department for Transport lawyers have suggested that it's more complicated than that, and they don't. Um, One of the things I'm going to be asking for in in, in weeks ahead is to see that legal advice um, and to get it reality tested with outside counsel. Mm. because I'm not sure that they're right about that. Um, But if they are right about that, we have a King's speech coming up on the 7th of November. Now, my colleague Theresa Villiers had had a 10 minute rule bill um, a few weeks ago, which is permission to bring a private members bill, which was granted in the second reading of that bill was due to be on the 24th of November. Now, because of the King's speech on the 7th, that will fall. But what her bill was about was about removing the power from mayors and from local authorities to implement charges such as this, to make it absolutely unambiguous that the government would have the power to do that. So if Section 143 of the GLA Act 1999 doesn't give the government power, then I think the government should give serious consideration to adopting Theresa's bill uh, and putting that in the King's speech. It need not be a long bill need not take up lots of parliamentary time, but I think would be cheered to the echo by my constituents, by the whole of Outer London, by people who live outside Greater London, all of whom are going to be ravaged by this tax that the mayor wants to impose on them. Yeah,
0: because there's definitely a feeling, in in, in my view anyway, in the country, that the whole sort of rush to net zero, uh, the rush to try and punish people for driving, Uh, He's kind of um, wearing very thin on an awful lot of people. I mean, we've got Rishi Sunak talking about uh, committing himself to pressing ahead with oil and gas exploration, uh, front page of The Times today, which will make a difference between um, hopefully cheaper energy and more homegrown energy, and it will make a difference between Tory uh, and Labour Party policy. Um, So, I mean, if he's willing to go down that road, then he might just need a little little bit of help from from people like yourself.
3: Well, and I agree, and I I fully support what the Prime Minister is doing on that as well, because... Whilst it would be very nice for the, the world to get to net zero, and I don't think anybody would particularly argue with that as a concept, between now and then is there this... Well, I would argue
0: it's a concept because I don't think anybody understands the concept at all. I don't think anybody knows what net zero really is, what what yeah. happens when you get there, uh, and how you even manage to, to convince anybody else it's a great idea. People just kind of nod knowingly because they're too frightened to say they think it's a stupid idea and it's costing us too much money.
3: Yeah, well, that's the point, isn't it? Because... Getting to that point, so so we, I mean, I I found myself in the astonishing situation of agreeing with every word that Tony Blair said last week, when he pointed out that we are a small island um, in the greatest scheme of things across the whole of the world, and China has produced more emissions in the last eight years than this country has since the Industrial Revolution, Mm. Um, and when you when you weigh that on the scale and you think that we are currently sitting at 1% of global emissions coming from our country, to get to 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 zero would cost us quite a lot of money and and impoverish quite a large number of people. You then have to start questioning the sanity of doing it when China is increasing their Mm. emissions by more than we could possibly reduce ours. Start to think, well, actually, this needs a global response, not a national response. Because actually, nationally, we've been doing pretty well for about 30 years. We've been reducing our emissions to the stage where we are now. So whilst getting the world to global zero, uh, might be a noble concept i think between now and then it's not going to be straightforward yeah. well noble concepts
0: I- are all very well aren't they but you know ju- usually that's you do, you do noble things when you can afford to you don't do them when you can't afford to do them
3: well quite and and you know we're facing a situation where people are really starting to feel a pinch in this country that's one of the reasons why i think the octaloe emissions zone expansion is such a crazy idea especially coming from a man who goes on about um the cost of living all the time right
0: and also, um, you know, you know, he won't admit what what is the truth of it, which is one, uh, the air quality in London is better now than it's ever been. Two, yeah. um, actually, he's not about he's not about trying to make the air cleaner. He's about charging you for polluting it.
3: Precisely right, and and that's the thing. I mean, he he was unwise enough in public to say that um, this was uh, as bold a step as banning smoking in pubs. Mm. But you see, nobody nobody said you can carry on smoking in pubs provided you pay £12.50. Right. Because logically, that doesn't make any sense at all, does Mm. it? Because the air will still be unclean. So it's not going to clean up the air charging people, it's just going to impoverish them. Yeah, exactly. And that's been the the hole in the heart of the whole of this thing, all the way along the line. It really is a revenue-raising measure. Mm. And we know what's going to happen, because TfL's defence line is, well, it's all, all very well because we're not going to make any money in two years because the air will be clean by then and nobody will be driving polluting vehicles, which is precisely why they've been advertising to bring in engineers to look at per mile road charging. Yeah. What they really want to do is have an excuse to put the cameras up so they can then use that for an even more expensive scheme that captures everybody yeah. in the near
4: because unfortunately,
0: sure. what we now have in this country is a very, very over dependent state and they're over dependent on taxpayers and they want so much money because government has got so big. And I mean, local and national government that, you know, they just have to keep rinsing the taxpayer. And at mm-hmm. some point or other, we're all going to go no more. Thank you very much. Indeed. I don't want to pay that.
3: Well, and I think we are approaching that point. I mean, you know, ULOS comes up on every door, mm. um, I was canvassing in Orpington on Saturday morning and again and again and again it was coming up on on the doorstep. People were stopping me in the street and talking about it. So it's it's really penetrated people's consciousness. It's become this sort of, uh, I I suppose, um, it's almost like a totem for people now, ULIS. But I think you're right. I think it's part of a wider problem. Uh, And that is that the state has become too large. Um, As a result of that, taxes have risen far too high. And that has a consequent knock on for economic growth as well. So, we are going to have to have a serious think in this country about what government is for and how it goes on in the long term.
0: Yeah. And I think Transport for London could learn a thing or two about slimming itself down as well, because they've got massive numbers of people earning vast amounts of money, doing very little, it seems to me.
3: Yeah. I mean, TFL is, is bloated. I mean, the, the irony of this is that when Sadiq Khan became mayor in 2016, he, he his line was that TFL was good but flabby. Yeah. He could never actually define what flabby meant in mm. the context of TFL. And it's only got flabbier since then. He's done absolutely nothing to try to reform it. Um, And as we know, the pandemic exposed the financial weakness of Transport for London, which has led us to where we are now.
0: Absolutely right. Final question for you. I don't know whether you've seen this story about the shadow Treasury Minister, Rabina Opong Asari, uh, who got herself a parking ticket uh, while she was parked outside the constituency office and decided to charge it to the taxpayer, 55 quid. Thanks very much. Uh,
3: No, I hadn't seen that. Um, I, I, I... I hesitate to comment on that other than to say that parking tickets in your own constituency really are the responsibility of anybody yes. who's parking their vehicle.
0: Well, parking tickets, period, I would have thought, not just in your own constituency. Ian Duncan Smith says uh, Starmer should uh, get rid of her, I presume just as shadow minister rather than as actual MP. Well, yes, I mean, I, I don't think he'd have the
3: uh, the power to get rid of her as an MP, but he, he would have the opportunity to remove her from the shadow cabinet.
0: Yeah, I would have thought MPs would have learned their lesson about, um, you know, expenses some years ago, but there we are. Good to talk to you, Gareth. Thank you very much indeed. Gareth Bacon, MP, uh, Conservative for Orpington, of course. Uh, he's saying uh, that he backs Rishi Sunak, who says he wants to be a friend of the motorist. The Labour policy, uh, of course, to impose U-legs in in the extended version of London uh, was given on Friday. Sadiq Khan seems to be sticking to his guns, but... We've still got lots to talk about. We're going to talk to Donald MacLeod in Scotland because he's managed to get a judicial review uh, on the Glasgow decision uh, for the ultra low emission zone up there. So uh, it's happening everywhere. Uh, we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. On DAV Plus on the app Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham right here and Hill one o'clock. And Peter Cardwell is going to be taking over uh, in place for Ian Collins, who's back, I'm told, tomorrow. Uh, we've been telling you this morning about the crime statistics that the Labour Party uh, have been going on about. Um, as Peter Hitchens just said there, though, I wouldn't take much uh, lessons in crime from the Labour Party because they won't make any difference. They won't do anything differently. And in many ways, much of what has happened to the criminal justice system in this country uh, has been since the last Labour government was in charge of it all uh, and it all got kind of dismantled piece by piece but Britain is now effectively in a very lawless place Peter Hitchens there talking about the shoplifting epidemic that's going on people that he knows personally telling him stories of what they've seen out and about whenever they've gone to a supermarket or whether they've gone to any sort of shop you generally see some form of illegal activity going on some form of shoplifting Um, but what they're now saying the Labour Party is that the Tories are now literally um, not solving 90 percent of crimes which is a dreadful figure, isn't it? Let's talk to Mike Neville, former Metropolitan Police Detective Chief Inspector. Mike, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike.
2: It's uh, terrible out of these uh, current figures.
0: They really aren't good, are they? I mean, it seems to go from bad to worse. You know, one minute we're saying that, you know, only 6% of burglaries are solved. We're now saying that all of these uh, uh, crimes are not being solved at all, largely because there's a shortage of detectives, apparently.
2: Well, there's all manner of reasons for this. And I think the first one is a lack of focus. Mm. Senior officers have been promoted for years for uh, promoting diversity, world career, certainly not crime. I remember when Cressida Dick took over at the Yard, the focus on solving crime mm. just went. Mm. There was no uh, ambition about the targets or anything like that. Secondly, yeah. they're recruiting the wrong type of officers, lots of ex-students and things like that, rather than people from the armed forces. Thirdly, they've lost loads of experience, and as you say, there's hardly any detectives. But I think the biggest thing is the focus on crime. I mean, I did this—I uh, did the Freedom of Information Act request—that found out that 70% of the Met haven't arrested anybody in one year. And I've actually—I'm not here to moan, Mike. I, I actually emailed uh mark rowley today to say i offer my services and i'm sure there's there's other detectives like me would like to help as well and what do you
0: think the chances of you being hired to do anything will be though
2: I think that I've I've offered my services to go in there and help with the images. The police are particularly bad at technology. They they haven't got the systems around. uh, Most people have ring doorbells and things like that. Mm. So how can they only be solving 5% of burglaries? It's a nonsense. Well, it really is. But it's
0: worse than that because an awful lot of crimes, according to Labour, are being dropped without a suspect even being identified. I think 2.3 million crimes dropped, up almost half a million. Uh, on 2021, um, a chronic shortage of, uh, of trained detectives, 7000 vacancies, fewer than half of police forces having a scheme to directly recruit detectives. I mean, I was listening to somebody talking about this over the weekend and, and, and the new sort of uh, policy of trying to get people from university, graduates, that kind of thing. And, and, and I was hearing that there should be more training on the job, a bit like the NHS, a bit like being a nurse. You know, you learn how to be a nurse by being on a hospital ward, not by sitting in a classroom.
2: That's the trouble, and it's, it's the culture of it as well. So at universities, not like Hendon, which was like a military establishment where you learn to be smart and, and, and deal with crime. And also, it's very hard, I think, to become a detective straight away because you've got to learn about how to deal with a shoplifter before you can deal with an armed robber. You've got to deal with the, how to interview people, the tradecraft, not just the law, but how to be at an office, how to speak to people, how to get information out of them. And we've gone down this road of thinking that everything can be taught in a university and it cannot. And that experience takes a long, long time to get. So that's why I think that uh, senior officers should be looking at, I know we're dinosaurs, me and other people like me, but you know what? We can solve a lot of crime and we can can get in there and help out. I've offered myself, I think, if they handle things like CCTV and images, uh, ring doorbell stuff, Better, they could double the detection rate for burglary, and I I offer my services to any police force that wants to do that. But the government have got to crack down on these chief constables and commissioners and make sure they're actually focusing this and not dancing the Macarena for the weekend.
0: Well, exactly right. I mean, I was having a conversation more broadly about the world of politics this morning uh, with Tim Montgomery and saying that you know there doesn't seem to be the will to do anything i mean we've got sir mark rowley who's come in and said that he's going to lift up a lot of stones and it's not going to be nice what he finds underneath them and he's going to change the 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 policies of the police uh uh, uh, scotland Yard. He's going to change the way they operate but i mean it doesn't seem to be changing you know we still seem to have the same problems that we had last year
2: yeah absolutely it's gonna it's a the met is an enormous ship it's it's five or six times bigger than any other police force it's got all those extra national squads like the anti-terrorist squad Mm. and stuff that that really could be handled possibly by another another agency and it's going to take some time but what he needs to do is some quick wins and there are some quick wins around solving more thefts and burglaries and robberies I mean, one of the scandals I thought, Mike, I looked into rapes. Now, we know that 90 or more, per, uh, more percent of rapes are parties known to each other. Mm. So it's very difficult because there's no DNA evidence. It's simply one word against another. But I looked at stranger rapes where, you know, a woman's attacked yeah. by someone she's never met. So you think that DNA would be available, CCTV. And the police are only solving 6% of stranger rapes. Yeah. I, I honestly thought it would be 60, 70, 80% like the murder rate. Right so it just shows how things just it's just awful but there are quick wins to be had and and they need to utilize technology better and just be smart about what they've got but they're just blundering around at the moment they're focusing on all the wrong things and i know of course the good thing i can see is it's gone political yeah because labor and the liberal democrats are forever targeting the tories now and saying You are no longer the party of law and order. Mm. Just like you, Les, the Tories have captured on that this might be some uh, way of getting some votes back. So hopefully now the public will be made safer because the politicians think they might lose the seats.
0: But the problem is, isn't it, that they kind of they they go for these targets. I seem to remember years ago when they decided that it was taking too long for people to answer the 999 calls. So they put a kind of a, a holding caller Uh, in the middle of it all so that when you dialed 999 it got answered very quickly but you didn't still necessarily get to a police officer uh, for another five or six minutes but then they could say oh yeah but we've we've fixed that you know because now when you ring 999 somebody picks up the phone yeah but nothing actually happens and I think that's part of the problem as well
2: yeah there was the the targets are a good thing like when they were first introduced by Michael Howard it was x amount of burglaries x amount of robberies being solved now of course there's more and more targets and Ringing 999 is not the ultimate thing. Get it The police catching the criminal is what they should be measured on, not how they achieved their right. aim. They, they managed to skateboard out there and get hold of the criminal, and that's just as good. Right. But they really need to focus just on simple things like how many robbers you've, uh, have been charged, how many rapists, and these are what they should be doing. And I've said this time and time again on this programme, the Home Secretary could say, right, all these diversities that you've got, we're stopping them. There's no need to focus on that anymore. All we want is good officers of any colour, any sex, any sexuality. Forget about that. You focus, you Chief Constables and Commissioners, focus on catching criminals and putting them away and making the streets safer. That is what the public want. They don't want walkery anymore.
0: No, exactly right. And the problem is that people who weren't perhaps thinking of committing crimes, albeit petty crimes like shoplifting um, and just nicking things from people, breaking into cars and all that. You know, they're now thinking, well, nobody's ever going to catch me so I can just do it.
2: It's absolutely right because if you know that you've got a one in 20 chance of being caught for thieving, then you'll thieve because you know even if you do get caught, then you'll get no punishment uh, whatsoever uh, and, the, and the court will give you like a few a few hundred pound fine and, and you'll be on your way if it's that much. And what you find is that all this evidence like thieving and burglary is all captured on CCTV. So why isn't it being used? Mm. Why aren't we using that to make the public safer. And the reason are is the police just haven't kept up with technology at all. They're still burning discs and things like this. And it's ridiculous. And as a result of this, people are not safe in their homes and they're not safe on the streets.
0: Yeah. But if there are 7,000 detective vacancies, I mean, how it's going to take a long time to fill those jobs, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's, 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 it's shaming, Mike, because... When I joined as a young policeman in 89, my aim was to become a CID a CID officer. No, people don't want to work in the CID because you, you don't you lose your rest day because you've got to go to court, you've got to do investigations. Too many officers prefer to be in uniform where you do five days on, have 10 days off, and every day is an island. And it will take a lot of time. And that's why I'm suggesting they should really be looking at bringing back experienced officers of every rank who can then pass on this tradecraft to these young young uh, young detectives so we can get back to a position where Scotland Yard was the envy of the world and not the laughing stock.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Mike, yeah. good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Mike Neville, former Metropolitan Police Detective Chief Inspector on the woes currently uh, assailing the entire police force of this country, or the police service as they now like to call it. If you've got 7,000 vacancies for detectives, how long is that going to take to fill? Have you ever tried to apply to be a police officer? I'd love to hear from you if you have. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand uh, is the number. We'll take your calls after this.
3: On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV
0: good afternoon and welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk tv there's a lot going on today i'll tell you what uh, it's gonna be a massive week here you know why because in the middle of the sort of dark days the dog days of summer as they used to call them when it was really hot that's why they called it the dog day so you went out and you were like oh i feel like you know just uh, throwing myself into the fountain it's that hot well don't worry that's not going to happen here but Rishi Sunak is claiming that he's the friend of the car driver. Uh, We've also got Rishi Sunak now the friend of the oil and gas explorer uh, because he says that we're now going to issue new licenses. He's going to open some carbon capture places. We heard about that in the last hour, of course, as well. But what on earth is it all about? Is he just trying uh, to convince us all that he really is on the side of the consumer and he really does want to sort of repair the economy? Who can say? Uh, The biggest problem he's got, of course, is immigration. And one of the problems that he hasn't solved yet uh, is the problem of the arrivals on the small boats because he's now got the Bibby Stockholm set up down there in Portland where he's going to put 509 I think it is migrants uh, on uh, what is regarded as a sort of uh, residential barge it used to be used for oil workers it could have been used as a prison ship in the past but they're now saying it might be too dangerous to put the migrants on uh, because it could in fact be a fire risk so we've got that to worry about. Meanwhile, uh, the bad weather might stop some migrants coming, but it hasn't really stopped them for very long. Uh, we'll probably end up with another 25,000, 30,000 very possibly coming before the end of the year. Um, there's now new, uh, sort of, shall we say, rhetoric out there from all sorts of people saying, well, you know, you might be barred from gaining British citizenship if you're a criminal migrant. Oh, well, that's good news, isn't it? Marvellous. Tremendous. Let's talk to Robert Olds, who's the director of the Bruges Group, to find out uh, what the latest situation is uh, with this story, because it's the story that won't go away. And it's the story that never seems to change. Uh, Robert, very good afternoon to you.
4: Good afternoon, Mike.
0: This really is um, going to end up being probably the the hill that that Rishi Sunak dies on, isn't it? Because no matter what he does with the economy, no matter what he does in every other area, uh, even if it's exploring from New Orleans gas fields in uh, the North Sea, immigration... Uh, will be the one thing that, if he doesn't solve, will finish him off, I think.
4: You're absolutely right. If Rishi Sunak has any chance of not facing a total defeat in the general election, which is probably just a year and a half away, but less even, then, of course, he has to make sure that working-class voters, many of whom had voted for the Conservative Party for the first time in 2019... Some of their parents, for instance, may well have voted for Margaret Thatcher in the uh, early years of her premiership, after the victory of the Falklands War and the uh, opportunities that Thatcherism promised them, owning their own home and so forth. But any opportunity of having those voters stay with the Conservative Party rests on tackling the issue of immigration. Uh, of course, so far, he's recognised that there's a problem, which is something, at least he, he realises this, because, of course, the polling evidence is, is quite clear and the disaster that he's actually facing. And, of course, he's getting the right advice. But, of course, he has people such as Suela Braverman who are willing and ready to take action. But, of course, it seems that the The bureaucrats in the Home Office and, of course, the lawyers are determined to get in the way of this, make sure they get as much fees for causing as much trouble as possible and do as much as they can to undermine a policy that most people in this country want to see come to pass.
0: Exactly right, because there will always be enough um, sort of disruptive qualities out there for people to, to, to make use of. Because it seems to me it's such an open um, kind of argument, isn't it, legally, that, that you can always find some reason to get it blocked. You can always find some judge who will put another stay of execution on somebody being sent out of the country. You know, there will always be another hurdle to jump over.
4: Indeed, it's, you know, many of your viewers will be surprised to hear that people with criminal records can indeed become British well, citizens. Well, I mean,
0: I was amazed at that. I thought I knew a reasonable amount about, uh, about this business, but, but obviously I didn't know that. So how is that possible?
4: It is absolutely astounding, and the bar is so low for allowing people to gain access to the UK and receive all the all the benefits—not uh, necessarily benefits paid for by by the taxpayer—all the benefits we have in this country. It being relatively safe and enlightened and prosperous, mostly, but yeah. for, for most people. Yet, of course, it's open to anybody around the world, which is making it harder for the least well-off to earn a decent wage, and of course threatens our security and as we've discussed on before on this show, there will be many people coming here from abroad that have committed crimes and still haven't even been deported and have no right to remain here, have citizenship elsewhere, and yet the, and yet still walking around the streets free, or indeed detained at her majesty's pleasure at great expense to the taxpayer when they needn't be here. It used to be said that to uh, being English was to win the lottery of life. Yeah. Indeed, it, 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 <laughs> should, it is, and, and it should be. But it shouldn't be open to everybody to have those opportunities until, of course, they can show that they've earned it and indeed benefit those already here. Right. So we of intelligent immigration, not ones which open to, to willy- willy-nilly intent and those who uh, indeed threaten life in, in the UK or make it less prosperous for the least well-off and, of course, perhaps less safe as right. well in Cases. But, that's really? it. but that seems oh. to
0: be the problem, doesn't it? Sorry for interrupting, but but you know the people who help these migrants to stay in this country, sometimes by, uh, as we saw last week in the Daily Mail, actually operating illegally and making up stories and suggesting that they uh, provide them with you know a wife or something like that, so that they can give them quicker residency and all of that. You know these people believe many of them that unbridled immigration is a good thing and necessary and almost our duty. Uh, to welcome everybody in here who wants to come
4: well this is this idea is put about by those who believe they have uh, a, a benefit to be had They they're they, somehow in their advantage uh, economic advantage, and indeed the legal establishment benefit from this because there will be cases going to, to court and to the European Court of Human rights, and they will be receiving fees all at the ta- taxpayers' expense there will be immigration lawyers that, that benefit from this repeatedly and of course those that want to keep paying low wages to british people people in this country they benefit as well and it's to been quite clear about that lord rose when he spoke about the possibility of britain leaving the european union back in 2015 when he was giving a talk to the uh, select committee at the house Commons said that if we left the European Union, there would be less immigration, and that would be a bad thing for employers because they want the lower wages. He was quite clear about that, and those at the very top will be benefiting from this. Even Polly Toynbee of the Guardian has wrote that Britain's immigration at the moment it makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. Yeah. That someone in the Guardian newspaper, Polly Tornboy Toynboy of all people, one. Of, that is absolutely... I mean, she
0: is the champagne socialist, champagne is. socialist, isn't she? I mean, she's an absolute, you know, card-carrying Corbynite, for heaven's sake. But that's the thing. Anybody that's got any kind of uh, understanding of Britain being a relatively small but very densely populated country uh, must know that there is a, has to be a limit on the numbers coming in. I mean, just to go back for a moment to the uh, criminal migrants who can become citizens, I mean, is there any kind of at least sliding scale of what crime they've committed because, I mean, one of the ones that I like to use as an example quite often of how ludicrous the system is, uh, is a guy from, I think it's Albania, who runs a car wash up in Leicester. And he was um, asked why he couldn't be sent back to his own country. And he, t- he said, because I fear being murdered by my wife's family. When they said, why would you be murdered by your wife's family? He said, because I murdered her. So he's murdered his wife. Um, he can't go home because he's, he's worried about retribution. But you can stay here and run a business.
4: That is absolutely awful to hear and that the, the you know, we're importing people into this country that have very different attitudes. In some cultures there is less of a stigma. Clearly in Albania there is a problem with, with murdering wife, but there's there's honour killings and that, that's something which has been imported into this country and that is absolutely atrocious. And the fact that we have this person living here is really A threat, And and usually if someone has committed a crime, they would either be a sexual predator or someone who is uh, known to be committing domestic violence. There can be a register that they can be put on and people can find that information. No doubt there's no information stored about this person. And anybody that would have misfortune of having uh, relations with such such a man or or know him puts themselves at at danger, women especially. So to be uh, very careful who we're letting in. And of course, you know, he's working there at a car wash. He himself is also being exploited in the in the black economy. And this is how many of these migrants come here. They're coming here to form, uh, take jobs in, 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 the black economy, low wages, low productivity, their passports often taken and used as virtual virtual slavery. There's many people working in the textile industry, also enforced in, into these conditions. And if we are going to have a humanitarian approach, we need to be helping people in their own countries, rather than exploiting them in this country and providing cheap labour, which some people do very well out of, uh, as, as, as we know. Uh, but we need to be Really, stopping people making perilous journeys across the channel, we need to be tough about this. We need to deport those that come and those who repeatedly come first need to, be, um, need to be need to be ultimately charged and we need to be very strong on this and we need to recognize that we have to crack down on the people smugglers and those people smugglers are Criminals and, of course, unfortunately, in some cases, people smugglers are also uh, those those in the Home Office as well who are facilitating all this from... Mm. Well, let's not, not the forget that it was one time.
0: of the Home Office unions that was party to the case in the Court of Appeal. Uh, which declared that Rwanda was in fact an illegal um, operation and that nobody could ever be sent there. So, I mean, you know what side their bread's buttered on. But it seems to me that an awful lot of the the so-called new sites where migrants are supposed to be going, like RAF Wethersfield in Essex, RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire, you know, it's all kind of on hold because they're not really sure what to do. And in weather fields, especially, um, apparently there's um, there's a small number of, uh, of diseases doing the rounds as well, including tuberculosis.
4: Indeed, tuberculosis was pretty much uh, eliminated within Britain. Of course, it caused devastation throughout the, the 50s and 60s. Mobile testing units had had to be set up. Uh, people were were inoculated. The problem was on top got, got on top of through mm. Desperate effort. Now, of course, we find these diseases being reintroduced. What have we not learned anything from from Covid? Uh, Of course, there we had to suffer the most uh, perilous uh, lockdowns and all the problems that's caused for the the country's finances and indeed the, the economy and public health as well as people were reluctant to go to go to doctors uh, people were suffering heart conditions because of the lack lack of exercise and living in in dreadful conditions imprisoned in the, in their homes because we were too open to countries that allowed diseases to to come in and we're doing doing the same again on a much smaller scale uh, and this now needs to be it needs to be needs to be tackled yeah. and is such as you mentioned in, in Essex, where, of course, the, the former military base, uh, former RAF, uh, United States Army Force Base, Air Force Base, is being turned into, uh, turned into an asylum uh, refugee centre. And that, of course, will put a lot of pressure on the locals. People there will have nothing to do, but they'll be free to wander off and, of course, disappear into, into the black economy and put pressure on locals, many people in that area are indeed struggling themselves and their social issues we need to get a top of. Many of our coastal towns are indeed suffering and they shouldn't just be dumping grounds for those who have come from abroad illegally and needn't be here, that aren't indeed refugees, that are indeed economic migrants, that are young men looking for work and often you know, to send back money to their families mm. back home. That's understandable, but of course they should be working in their own countries or indeed uh, they've come across many borders to get here. They would have possibly arrived in Italy or Greece and had to go across a multitude of nations to get here. They're genuine asylum seekers. They should have been looked after here rather than pushed on by European authorities, in many cases the French authorities, as they've been doing for decades, even before Brexit took place. And yet all we're doing is sending money to to France uh, and indeed in many cases... Paying for people to come here and be put up in four or five-star luxury hotels at the cost of the tax, and then when we do find alternative solutions such as Rwanda, the lawyers jump in. Home Office uh, staff try and frustrate the policy, and then of course we have the have the have the ship, and then of course more bureaucratic hurdles are being put put in the way. And, you know, really, Britain has done more than its fair share. We're a crowded island. There's pressure on the Green Belt. There's pressure for jobs, for schooling for places at doctors, at dentists, yet, of course, we're just throwing it open to, to, to the rest of the world uh, and people who will be working here and exploited in the black economy and used by what well, are criminals and people who have very little moral compass in using migrants for their own uh, nefarious ends. Absolutely right.
0: And let's not forget that during Covid, of course, despite the fact that there were restrictions on us travelling anywhere, the migrants were still arriving on the boats willy nilly and uh, being helped into, you know, buses and being taken to hotels. But there we are. Robert, got to run. Thanks very much indeed for your help. Robert Olds, director of the Bruges Group. Criminal migrants may now not be able to gain British citizenship. Hurrah. Hallelujah. Eureka, even.
4: The
3: Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Botox Cosmetic, auto botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years.
1: So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.